You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. at uh, going deeper in faith these days. We've talked about uh, some of the initial understandings of coming to faith in Christ. We've talked about the life of discipleship, of uh, learning the scriptures and learning to fulfill our obligations as a disciple and learning to feed ourselves and to grow in in the faith and to do those spiritual practices and to learn from other teachers and mentors and pastors and also to live the productive life where we're serving and we're doing things. We're not just sitting back, but we're actually living as a disciple for Jesus Christ in the world and in the church. And we're, we come into this interior life where uh, God is calling us to meet with Him inside. And we've, we're coming to experience God in a way that we've not known God before, that God is is uh, immortal, invisible, (laughs) beyond our figuring out. And in the midst of of the interior life, there's there's times, friends, when we hit walls. I'm thinking of people today close to me in my family and as well as uh, uh, people in this church who are really at a wall. And it's a very critical time for them in their life. And it's hard. It's hard to watch them. Because I've been there too. How about you? Or maybe you're there right now. What is the wall that we're talking about? Some of the characteristics of the wall is that oftentimes there's a personal crisis uh, of something that happens in our life that we're thrust at the wall. We can feel very much alone there. Uh, Sometimes there's a deeper longing. There's a a great spiritual boredom or an emptiness that we experience. And we recognize at the wall that we, we can't stay where we are that no matter what happens at the wall, we're not going to be the same person that we were going up to that moment. We may retreat. We may be lackadaisical. We may get busy. But if we can press through the wall, if we can surrender at the wall, if we can give up ourselves over to God's will and purpose in our life. 
we can enter into a life of fullness and love and know God in a much more intimate way. We, uh, we have to be willing to wrestle inside with a deep sense of holy discontent and the angst and the pain that God must feel for his world and what he's inviting us to enter into. And we're living in a culture today where we don't like pain. We have face-to-face encounters with God, and we have a sense in which, God, where are you? I thought you were going to be here for me. A plus B equals C doesn't work anymore. And it's there where we meet our own inner demons. And we see the false self, and we see some things about ourselves that we don't like at the wall. Ultimately, the wall is where my will and God's will is going like that. So today, as we look at the scripture, we're going to look at Jesus at the wall, his wall. And we're going to learn from him. And we're going to talk about ways in which what we can do when we're at our own wall. Now, first of all, I want to show you a a picture of uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. How many of you have grown up with that picture? Um, That's my grandmother's picture. That was such a sweet picture. Jesus is so serene there. It's such a wonderful light coming down from heaven. The only problem is it cannot be more polar opposite of what actually happens in the Garden of Gethsemane according to Scripture. It's a religious piece of art. But it's not what it was like. In the Scripture that we're not going to read in one of the other Gospels, it says that Jesus sweat drops of blood pouring out of him. And in the Gospel that we are going to read, it gives us a very different picture than this serene, peaceful look on Jesus' face with a light coming down from heaven. So let's stand together for the reading of the gospel. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 32. Jesus and the disciples have just shared their last meal together. And he's gone to among the olive trees to pray. It's a place where he oftentimes would go a secret place to hang out. And it's just an hour or moments before his arrest when Judas and the authorities are going to come and get him. Jesus is at his wall. They went to a place called Gethsemane. 
And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time. And said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough, the hour has come. Son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See? The betrayer is at hand. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Jesus' wall is the cross. Jesus uh, is very vulnerable here, isn't he? Jesus is very human here. I personally take heart in the words that Jesus was distressed and he was agitated. Anybody get agitated? <laughs> You're in good company. He's distressed and he's agitated. He's feeling overwhelmed and he says so. He shares this in total vulnerability with his band of brothers, Peter, James, and John. In a world where there is so much pretense and you've got to always put your best first uh, foot forward and your face on and pretend to be something you're not, isn't it remarkable that the Bible, that the scriptures, that the word of God gives us this human picture of Jesus, God in the flesh, vulnerable and weak and needing companionship. 
He brings his brothers, Peter, James, and John, to those intimate spaces in his life. He had brought them up to the Mount of Transfiguration where they could see his glory. Now he brings them into the Garden of Descent where they're going to see him agonize. Jesus cries out to God. I love it where it says he threw himself on the ground. No, that nice, sweet picture of Garden of Gethsemane doesn't cut it. Mel Gibson got it much more correct in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Are you and I willing to enter into the passion of the Christ? Hebrews tells us the letter of Hebrews in the New Testament, that Jesus, being the Son of God, learned obedience to the things that he suffered. It tells us that Jesus, with loud cries and tears to God, prayed. Loud tears and cries to God. Sometimes our quiet time doesn't need to be our quiet time. Sometimes our quiet time needs to be our loud time. And the scripture says that Jesus, being human, was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. Every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. So his temptation is not to go through with it, right? His temptation is, Father, is there some other way? I don't want this cup. Let this cup pass. He was tempted just like he was in the wilderness three years before at the beginning of his ministry to go some other way of being a Messiah, a political Messiah, a powerful Messiah. Not a suffering Messiah. Sure, he had told them before several times, the disciples, this was going to happen. But I want to pose you a question this morning. What would have happened if Jesus would have chucked it. What if Jesus would have just said, no, I'm not going to surrender. I'm going to go another way. I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to do it my way. What would have happened? Some people say, well, that wouldn't have happened. That couldn't have happened because the scripture said that it was intended to be this way. But I've got to ask you, does foreknowledge take away free will and does the scripture foreknowing it predetermine that Jesus did not have the ultimate choice in the garden of Gethsemane to go through with the purpose and the plan that was written before the ages and I got to say if he wasn't really given free will then he wasn't really tempted 
I preached that three or four years ago, and I got a voicemail from a concerned parishioner. She was a very nice person, and she called me, and she left me a voicemail because I wasn't in the office at the moment, and she said, Pastor Bob, you're a very good pastor, and I, you've got really good theology, but you really blew it yesterday. You know, kind of. She said it nicer than that, but Jesus didn't, he wouldn't have. I mean, he couldn't have. I mean, he just wasn't going to not go through with it. If you believe that, that's fine, but I've got to say that unless he was really, truly given that choice, then he wasn't really tempted the way you and I are tempted. But Jesus chose in the midst of not wanting to do it. God, not what I want but what you want. It's interesting that he, he brings Peter, James, and John, and, and he says to them not once, not twice, but three times, would you pray with me? Or would you pray? Will you watch? Will you pray? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think Jesus brought his band of brothers with him because he needed their comfort it's interesting, in one gospel it says he was not comforted by the humans, but the angels came and comforted him. Sometimes it's the angels. But, you know, if Jesus needed comfort from some friends at the wall, I guess we need it too, don't we? If Jesus needed a band of brothers or sisters at the wall, I guess we need a band of brothers or sisters at the wall too. If Jesus is tempted beyond human ability... And, and we are tempted beyond human ability. I guess we need also to be able to look at the reality that these things happen in our lives. And if you and I are going to follow Jesus long enough and deep enough, we are going to hit our walls. And we're going to agonize and we're going to be in distress. And it is hard. And it's at the wall that Jesus is able to reject the false self. No, Jesus didn't have inner demons, but he was tempted to go the false Messiah route. He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and in the garden to go the way of pride, to go the way of showmanship, to go the way of prestige. But he did not yield, and he was without sin. When you and I come to our walls, sometimes we do blow it, and sometimes we wrestle and we struggle. In all cases, we face our false selves. Do you know what I'm talking about by false self? Let's look at some characteristics of the false self. The false self is pretending. It's, it's a way in which we pretend to be someone that we're not. We put on our public face 
And to a sense, we have to do this to be able to survive. And, and we do this also to protect ourselves. The false self is created because who has not been hurt in life? And if you were hurt, especially as a child by people in authority, then you do things what you have to do to protect yourself. And you put up a facade and you put up a protection where not very many people can get close to you. And the false self is about promoting. And we see this a lot where everyone's out there promoting themselves and focusing on themselves. In fact, I learned this week that this is the position that millennial young adults use up to one hour a week. <laughs> one hour each week, a young adult in this country is doing a selfie. Uh, before us boomers and builders and Generation X people give them too hard of a time. And that's really kind of who we are, isn't it? Self-centered, self-focused, or self-promoting, or trying to in some way project an image where we can get attention or Gratification, we have needs. The false self is about possessing. It's about accumulating. It's about getting materialism. It's about not just possessing a lot of things. <clears throat> but we can be very possessive of people. We can be possessive of positions, prestigious positions. And it's rooted in pride, self-pride. It's hard, isn't it, to put yourself out there and to make yourself available sometimes and, and you're rejected. It's hard to put yourself out in a relationship and you're rejected. Our pride gets hurt. But the most difficult of all is the religious false self where we go through the religious activities of being in worship or going to church or reading the Bible or pretending to be a religious person but not having a change of heart, not having a change of mind, not really living for God but living for ourselves. The religious false self is the hardest of all to identify and the hardest of all to break. And it's the one that Jesus spoke out about the most when he said, you know, to the religious people of his day, you are like whitewashed tombs. You're very pretty on the outside with your long, flashy robes. But inside, you're like a dead men bones. So this false self, friends, is reality for all of us. None of us are immune of this. And this is what makes the wall so difficult because the false self will rage against us at the wall when we are faced to surrender ourselves to God and to find our true identity in Jesus Christ and to know Him and to love Him and to want Him intimately in a way that only the best of friends or the most intimate of lovers can know. It is to yield our will and place it in God's will. 
it is to surrender our false self and find that our true identity must be in Christ. And it's hard for us because we, we feel guilt and we feel shame. I love uh, the words of Brene Brown, and to me she is one of the best uh, persons in the secular or the public arena today that speaks into realities of the human spirit. And she says that uh, it's shame that we feel that creates these walls, and we don't know what to do with our shame. And when you sprinkle in secrecy and judgment, it magnifies shame all the more. But what we need is empathy because if you can have empathy with a few friends, with a band of sisters, with a band of brothers, with a spiritual guide, if you can have intimacy and you can be real and you can name those things that you, are, you feel guilty about of what you did, but the shame that you feel about who you are, if you can name that and you can relinquish that in empathetic ears where people are not judging you, but are there for you and praying for you. It is the shame slayer. And I think this is at the very heart of what Jesus is doing and saying to his band of brothers when he says, I want you guys to watch and pray because when your time of trial comes, I, man, the flesh is willing. I mean, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You and I need a band of brothers or sisters. We need people that walk deeper with us. We... We need those places. I want you to look uh, with me at this diagram, and you can't see it very well, but I will walk through it. Joseph Myers, those on the front seats, you can perhaps see it. Those in the back seats, you always have the option of moving up. <laughs> but you have the, the, the public space. You and I, live. we're in a public space right now, right? We go to corporate worship, or we go to the ball game. Or it's a... We, we need those places. We live in those public spaces. And there's the social space. There's the, the space where I, I put my uh, snapshots of myself up on Facebook or Instagram, and, and that's fine and that's good, and I, I'm being known in that way. We have those relational spaces social spaces where anyone that wants to know me at that level can know me, but there's the personal space. That's where in our own homes and in our, in our own family we can express our true feelings and our true thoughts and talk about our real experiences without uh, a lot of pretense. We are who we are. But then there's that most intimate space where we nakedly share our experiences, our thoughts, and our feelings. And we are real. And the, the holy and the happy people in this world are people who don't necessarily have a large amount of friends, but have a few that they can go deep and in full confidence with. And it makes all the world of difference. And if Jesus Christ needed that in human flesh when he walked this earth, and he said that we, his disciples, needed it, and he modeled it, you and I need it too. At Schweitzer, we have a discipleship plan that we, we have four circles, and in the plan, we, we believe that people need to be a part of classes and in worship experiences 
the, the broader, wider, spatial experiences. But the covenant discipleship groups is a, a model of eight people or so that get together and they're friends and they, they talk to each other about holding each other to um, the covenant relationship. Bands are the deeper, more intimate of three to five people of the same gender that will share and name the naked truth about themselves and pray for each other and healing, deep healing can occur. And when you have that kind of relationship going, you can get through your wall. If you don't have that kind of a relationship going, I don't see how you can possibly get through the wall. You need it. I need it. And it's in that way in which we're fortified. And we grow. Not just simply in our faith. But we get real. And God becomes up close and personal. And the false selves are slain. And we reach our true identity in Christ. And that's how you go deeper in faith. This morning as we receive Holy Communion, we're going to do it a little bit differently in that most of the time is going to be done in silence. And in the midst of silence, as you come forward as you normally do for communion, I'm going to read intermittently some scripture. And as I read some scripture, it'll be followed with some silence. And I just invite you to reflect upon your life. And I invite you to, to come forward with the full confidence that, and the full appreciation that Jesus Christ at his wall did not yield to temptation, but surrendered himself to the will of God. And I invite you this morning to do the same. And I invite you to think about your life and about your relationships and who are your band of brothers or sisters that you can go deeper with and journey with into the deeper things of God. And are you someone, if you're at the wall, are you willing to say, God, I'm yours. I truly surrender all that I am and all that I have to you. I can't do this without you.